Hello everyone and welcome to the SME Empower podcast. My name is Max Kituba and I am your host. Today we'll be talking to David Chen. He is the co-founder and co-CEO of Capsule, which is unlocking the power of healthcare through data. On this podcast, we'll be talking about everything from mission-driven enterprises to going into business with friends, financing a business in the early stages, and work-life balance as an entrepreneur. We sincerely hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so three, two, one. I'm starting like in three, two, one. <laughs> three, two, one. And we're live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SME Empower podcast. I'm your host, Max Kituba, and I'd officially like to welcome David Chen, the co-CEO of Capsule, which is a venture-backed startup that's transforming healthcare in Africa with data. Capsule is one of the top startups in Africa, having won the 2018 Africa Healthcare Hackathon, having been finalist in the MSD UK Innovation Challenge, and being a founder's factory portfolio company. So welcome to the show, David. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. Real pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah. Um, so could you give us a little bit of an intro into Capsule and the work that you guys do? Uh, yeah. So firstly, um, Capsule is a mission-driven company. Our mission is to drive forward what we call the three A's, affordable, accessible, and authentic healthcare by unlocking the power of healthcare data. And um we have a variety of different products, which are, uh, as it suggests, in the healthcare space. And uh, yeah, I'm one of its co-founders alongside Hanan and Femi. And for the last couple of years, we've been putting our brain efforts and sweat, blood and tears uh, into building Capsule. Wow. So um, when did you guys start Capsule? So officially, we got started in 2020, just as COVID hit. And that was when I... Uh, went full-time, um, but it was really a number of years in the making. So we spent uh, best part of two and a bit years researching the space um, after, we, we may get into this a little bit later, but we had a little bit of a personal encounter which made the reality of the health system in Africa really vivid for us. And then we spent two years researching the space, talking to everyone involved from pharmaceutical companies to uh, health ministers to hospitals, clinics, just to really understand the space. And then um, I get that was from the end of uh, begin, end of 2017, beginning of 2018. And that, but we we started with Capsule formally uh, in 2020. Okay, okay. So um, are you guys uh, simply focused on Africa, or are you um, focus on the globe generally with your products? Yeah, we're focusing on Africa, but the plan is to take our uh, solutions global because okay. what we saw was that the problems we were trying to solve were most acutely felt on the continent. Mm -hmm. And we felt that if we manage to solve it here, we can take our learnings and take um, the technology that we develop and implement it elsewhere and improve the healthcare systems there. Um, so we have a strategy that we like to call the Gen Genghis Khan approach which I'm not sure how with his... Uh, I do know Genghis Khan as a conqueror. <laughs> but I like um, it, I like it. <laughs> do you know his uh, military, military tactics to amass the huge empire? 
No, I think you should probably introduce me in the audience to that. <laughs> well, uh, he had a very interesting approach. So mm -hmm. uh, he's based in the Mongolian steppe and then learned how to conquer China, which was the most advanced military uh, at the time. Yeah. And then once he learned how to defeat the most complicated um, adversary, the rest mm -hmm. of the world was child's play. So we, we saw a similar theme with going for Africa first, because mm -hmm. we were told all the reasons why it's difficult to do business in Africa because of the infrastructure, um, the political situation, uh, mm -hmm. economic um, instability. And then we just decided, you know what, if we can do it here, <laughs> we can do it, do it anyway. <laughs> no, that's actually it's <laughs> a very interesting uh, motivation behind choosing Africa, but we're glad that you chose Africa. Um, so what uh, you were talking about a personal encounter that inspired you guys to to, to really uh, get on this journey. So uh, would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, so there's uh, a couple of things. The first one I'd say was that of my co-founder, Hanan. So yeah. similarly to you, he studied uh, medicine and then he went to do a placement in uh, Kenya, actually. And yeah. while he was there, he ended up um, working in a, um, in a rural hospital and really saw some of the issues firsthand from healthcare provisions, the low uh, level of doctor to patient ratios and um, accessing healthcare reliably. And he came back to London and was really, really disillusioned. Um, and we had a conversation about it. So that was kind of the, the seed. <clears throat> Uh, later, um, through two other events happened. One is which we ended up uh, speaking with the widow of a Nigerian celebrity. Um, I'm not sure if you if you know his name. It was Eric Arubai. And mm -hmm. when we spoke with his widow, it was one of those sort of heartbreaking conversations. Um, because, of course, she she was dealing with her own grief and had to <clears throat> had to deal with the fact that they did everything right, you know, uh, air quotes on, on paper. They, they went to the right hospitals. They, they did all, all of the things that they were supposed to do. And he was just a victim to, um, I guess, blind spots in the system, which allowed the fake medicines to get through. Yeah. And then I'd say the third point is we, during the investigation phase, um, uh, so after the conversation uh, with her, we then started investigating, speaking to more people, in the area, we then spoke with the health ministry of Benin, and they ended up seizing 100 tons of fake medicines in one seizure um, uh, uh, in late 2017, I believe. And we were speaking to them soon after that. And it was really when they were talking to us about the scope and size of that seizure, where it was 100 tons for a population, I think it's of uh, 10 million people or thereabouts. So it's massive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's massive, yeah. So it was one of those situations where we were speaking to them and they, they were saying, well, you know, this, this is a huge tragedy, but the thing which incentivizes this is that there, it's very difficult to have oversight from the point of a government, a health ministry, a regulator, um, law enforcement, when it's very, very difficult to have oversight, it incentivizes people to game the system and do those illicit activities. Yeah. So it was after those three experiences, we, we just uh, came together and decided, you know what, 
we think we're intelligent, we think mm -hmm. we understand technology, mm -hmm. what, what could be a higher cause than to put our uh, efforts and intelligence and willpower to solving a problem like this, as mm -hmm. opposed to, uh, in Hannon's experience, be another worker, be in a hospital, and in mine, it was just uh, another um, drone, I felt like, in the corporate world, where you're just working for uh, a large organization, trying to get them more money year on year. <laughs> I salute you guys for doing that. That that takes a lot of guts. You know, I know that, um, especially, you know, launching any startup is an extremely daunting and difficult uh, mm -hmm. undertaking. So I salute you guys for that. Um, so just um to go back on on, on your, your point on how you uh, used to be in the corporate world from a little bit of research i did i did some research and realized that uh you started off in biology and genetics exactly so um i'll give a slightly abridged abbreviated version of that story <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um i guess i went into genetics for a couple of well, to be honest, for one simple reason. Um, yeah. In school, I was one of those kids that was always um, quite intelligent. I found school relatively easy, but I hated studying. So okay. uh, I like, I'd never did any homework. I'd always try and find excuses not to do it. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was one of those kids that <laughs> try and get a bad grade by just not paying attention and not doing anything. But mm -hmm. Because I actually enjoyed learning. Um, by the time I came to exams, I could do fairly well. So yeah. anyway, when it came to choosing my degree, um, my philosophy was very simple. What can I get the best grade in with the least amount of effort? Which also mm -hmm. would impress my parents. <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know what? no one will be upset if their child is a scientist. Yeah. And I was like, uh, genetics comes pretty naturally to me because I find it interesting. So that's mm -hmm. why I chose it. And then it was in my second year, I realized mm. I probably should have used a, a more rigorous <laughs> selection process. Yeah. Because when I saw the career prospects for a geneticist, it was predominantly geared towards a lab or yeah. R&D or things like that. And I absolutely hated it um, mm -hmm. because you could go weeks without speaking to another human being you're mm -hmm. spending your time doing the smallest of experiments and any slight mistake, you have to start all over again. Yeah. And it really just broke my soul, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah. um, after that, I then decided, okay, what do I want to do? Um, which is, I wanted to do something where I use people skills more. And I wanted to do something where I still use my degree. So I started off my career at a company called Hydrogen Group. Um, where I came in as, on a grad scheme and was essentially doing um, doing sales for a consulting company. Yeah. And it, for me, it was fine because it was like pharmaceutical clients and uh, I can I can stay like fingers in the nerdy sort of uh, STEM field, but without actually having to do any science myself. <laughs> while I was there, there was one experience that made me decide to leave uh, and try a new industry. Uh, well, there's a couple of experiences. One was I was extremely arrogant, I guess, in my youth. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. um, 
I was fortunate enough to get recognized as kind of a thought leader in the space uh, fairly early on in my career. So I ended up speaking at the Worldwide Brand Safety and Anti-Counterfeiting Summit. I was a chair of Pharmacovigilance Europe and a bunch of very high profile pharmaceutical industry focused uh, forums. And I remember thinking, okay, if I can, uh, like in in the first conference I was in, I sat next to um, a vice president from AstraZeneca and another one from uh, Azi Pharmaceuticals. And I remember looking to my left and right and thinking, they've been in their job since I was born. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I guess I, I was, I thought to myself, if I can get to a stage where I'm sitting on the same panel as these experts, I've completed the game. Um, So I felt like I wanted to try a new new industry. And secondly, I wanted to learn a very particular skill, which was uh, selling multi-million dollar contracts. Mm -hmm. So um, while I was with Axiom, uh, while I was with Hydrogen, sorry, I managed to get an RFP, a request for proposal, for a 1.5 million euro project which mm. I completely failed. Like, I am <laughs> Yeah. Clients said after the pit, wasted my time coming. Like, it was <laughs> so bad. Yeah. And that was the beginning of your villain story. <laughs> <laughs> or was it your hero's journey? It's probably your hero's Joseph Campbell yeah. journey. Very important. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I guess it's, it's always either a hero's journey or a villain origin story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's let's see how it turns out. <laughs> no, yeah, but I think I you're on the hero side for now. So, yeah, yeah. But for me, it's just a, a case where I remember thinking I embarrassed myself, but I had no one to learn from because yeah, no one in my team had dealt with a proposal that big. So I was like, okay, I need to go into an industry which does this for fun so I can learn from them. And then um, it was actually on Hannan's recommendation because I spoke to him about my issues. He said, well, if you want to sell big uh, contracts, multi-million dollar contracts, you should probably look at the legal industry. They do that all the time. So um, that night I Googled sort of largest legal um, deals. And then an article about Axiom came up on Google said that they did a $75 million contract with bank in Canary Wharf. So mm-hmm. I was like, $75 million in one contract. <laughs> I was like, I need to learn from these guys. So I sent my CV. That was the only CV I'd sent in the prior three years to anywhere. And uh, I managed to get an interview. I went through eight rounds of interview. Oh, it, it was yeah, I remember yeah. right before uh, they gave me the offer, um, it was mm. like, I, I made a joke. I was like, oh, do you want me to interview with the cleaner next? They were an incredible uh, organization and great people. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they saw me as a little bit of an oddball because everyone yeah. there had a background you know, and all of this. And there was me, the scientist, who clearly mm-hmm. had credentials in sales and corporate sales mm-hmm. and some, some even wanted to change entirely to legal so yeah um, they took a bet on me which i was very grateful for and uh, i was fortunate enough to support 
on business development on some of their bigger projects. So um, looking at deals from quarter of a million right up to, I think, $5 million was the uh, largest one that I supported on. Um, oh. And yeah, that, that was it, really. I just wanted to learn from the best. And they were one of those companies which were renowned for having some of the best talent and some of the most rigorous uh, interview processes. Yeah, I went in, I had a, uh, so many incredible mentors from there. Um, that kind of showed me the ropes, explained everything uh, to me. And mm. it really gave me the confidence that should I find the right thing to do, I'd be able to use my skills to sell it at the highest level. Um, so that was before Capsule came around as an idea, but I think it, it definitely gave me the right training to, to utilize the skills that I learned there. No, no, that's, that's a really fascinating story. So this, uh, you know, just by listening to you, um, looks like Femi and Hanan, who are also co-founders, were uh, very close friends yeah. uh, of yours as well, right? So, exactly. So you decided to go into business with your friends. So how has that experience been for you? That's, is it, does it like, does it feel <laughs> the friendship? Like, how does that, yeah. It's been the best decision ever. Uh, I, can't, I can't say that more yeah. emphatically, to be honest, because, for instance, I've known Hannah since I was five. I guess when it comes to founding a business, um, it's like whenever it gets really tough, we can look at each other and make some joke about some shared experience that we've had at some point. Um, yeah. So, for instance, we've, we've been asked this uh, when it was actually being interviewed by Founders Factory about the depth of our relationship and whether going into business together would um, potentially harm it. And then we said, look, we navigated liking the same girl <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing really could, could come between us. Um, yes. yeah, for me, he was one of those people where we we got along, but it was more on a sort of academic level first. Uh, mm -hmm. So we we was talking about um, kind of it, it was more he was into computer science. I, I was kind of science nerd, so we'd we'd share more intellectual intrigue. And it's yeah. actually maybe similar to how you know Femi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hannan and I was out one night and we bumped into Femi. I think it was after Carnival. Mm -hmm. And he was in such a good uh, mood. And we were like, hey, Femi. Like, uh, fancy seeing you after Carnival. And we had one of the best nights out of my life. <laughs> we partied together, had so much fun. And yeah. then it kind of it from oh this is someone who I can you know mentally spar with to someone who mm -hmm. I can actively look forward to seeing in my free time <laughs> yeah uh, and then since then it's just made it like um, a dream because to be honest it's like when you're in the trenches and everything's not going well having yeah. someone who could mock you or mock the situation in a way where you just end up laughing and it alleviates the stress mm -hmm. or the sense of accomplishment when you do something together and you're like you guys believed in me when no one else did, when no one had the right to, you know, they would have been stupid to believe in me. Yeah. But they did, and then we accomplished things together. It's mm -hmm. kind of like sweetest victory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So um, when you're talking about, um, now, as, as far as a business goes, um, mm -hmm. what kind of challenges, or uh, if you could just name, uh, give us an example of, 
uh, a trying moment that you feel that the business went through and how you overcame it? Yeah, there's been so many. Um, and <laughs> firstly, I'll give you a, a line from one of the founders of Axiom. He told me, um, yeah. it's funny, I went to him for advice when I was uh, starting Capsule. And yeah. he, he told me this one thing, which I always go back to because it was so true, that mm -hmm. the problems never get easier or the challenges never get easier, just yeah. different. Mm -hmm. And he said from day one when we were, because he was telling me about his, his early days of starting Axiom, he was like, we had to do spin the bottle for sales calls. And whoever it lands on has to do a sales call. <laughs> it was just like a, a really useful piece of perspective. From the very earliest days, for me, Hannah and I doing all-nighters till like 6 a.m. Uh, in the morning, yeah. trying to build um, a product that we can show to someone we're going to do a sales pitch to, right mm -hmm. through to um, members of the team quitting unexpectedly or being mm -hmm. headhunted for amazing job opportunities that were like, you know what, <laughs> we don't blame <laughs> you for working months and months and months for something and then um, you get a sale only for the client to pull budget because people have moved um, jobs. But I think yeah. back to my earlier point, when you have your friends that are around you, when yeah. they can see that broken, they can say that thing to just raise your spirits and be like, you know what, let's go again, let's try again. Yeah, yeah, I can actually attest to that, uh, just because Femi and I are friends as well. So Femi and I, um, when we met, um, we had like a sort of uh, mini emergency. <laughs> so we're on a trip. Uh, it's, we're foreigners and we're in the middle of an emergency, but Femi was the most calm person like, in, the, in the entire situation. He was so calm i was like yo like you know like how i was how does he manage to do this and then i found out later because he's hiding this information from me that he actually you know works at a startup and i'm like okay he's probably been through a lot and um, <laughs> overcome a lot of things yeah so um just to ask how do you guys uh, approach financing in the early stages of your startup yeah, well, the early stages, it was all uh, on us, bootstrapping. Um, that was a huge risk in many respects. And that's what some people don't like to talk about in the startup world. We, we couldn't get anyone to believe in us, not investors, not angels. Um, effectively, we were three young, dumb guys, full of enthusiasm mm. and limited experience saying they're going to tackle a problem that billion dollars and multinational organizations couldn't solve. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so it was one of those where you have to get to the point where you back yourself first mm -hmm. and you have to do it intelligently. So uh, I know that you know, some of the Silicon Valley um, tropes is to quit everything, burn your bridges and, uh, and then go for it. But, yeah. I think for us, we sat down, we did the maths and being like, okay, what can we afford? How long can we continue like this? And what are the milestones we expect to achieve before we make, and this is a financial term, a, a margin call where you decide, mm -hmm. okay, do we cull 
the idea now and cut our losses or mm-hmm. do we keep continuing to the next milestone mm-hmm. and i think having that approach was really really helpful because um yeah when you when when i guess the money from investors eventually came it gave yeah. us a lot of discipline because we treated that money like it's our own mm-hmm. and a lot of the time the investment world kind of promotes an idea of spending your way through problems. Yeah. And one thing that Hannan said to me, uh, which stuck, <laughs> is that, David, money will only solve our money problems. So, yeah, fiscal responsibility, very important whenever you're running a business. Um, and bootstrapping is actually it's quite hard for people to actually, like, think about, um, you know, putting themselves at risk and and you know having basically jumping to the deep end and uh you know actually fighting it out and uh, i think it, it builds a lot of resilience it shows that you guys have a lot of resilience mm-hmm. and um i think that's that's a really inspiring thing so as you talk about developing that culture of resilience because you guys have been through so much and you built this uh, from the ground up, brick by brick, then how how do you think that has translated into the rest of the company as you keep um, building your team out and uh, mm. just defining a culture and values for this company? Like, how do you think that um, that plays out for you as a CEO? Yeah, that that's a huge... And we had to be very deliberate about the environment that we wanted to have and also have to be very self-aware about the habits that we want that we have that we don't want to continue moving forward and yeah. i think from from our experiences together like you mentioned the fiscal responsibility that has been something um we've all tried to embody uh, across mm-hmm. every level of the organization um it's a, that self-accountability and self-responsibility where capsule feels like your organization your company your colleagues, you need to do whatever you can for the whole organization. Yeah. Um, and one of some of the things that we realized helped embody that were um, kind of our values. Number one is integrity. So mm-hmm. I guess the benefit of working with your friends is I, I, I would never do anything to, to screw over Hanan or Femi. You know, I'd, ra- I'd rather myself go bankrupt and they're fine than do yeah. anything that can compromise them. Yeah, for I think sure. the level of accountability that we have, we, we expanded it to our team. So it's kind of we're, we're serving our team and then they're serving their team and, and so on and so forth. So it's mm-hmm. that, that culture of wanting to do right by the person sitting next to you is, yeah. is number one. The second one is one that we learned kept us alive, which is having a sense of urgency and speed, um, mm-hmm. where if you see something that needs to be done or you have yourself a task, you try and get to the point of getting the learning from that as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So we don't strive for perfection. We, we strive for commitment to excellence at what you do, but coupled with that, is a focus on delivery and execution um, and doing that with speed. Because yeah. we figured that coming up with a 80% plan and executing it today 
is better mm -hmm. than a percent plan executed next week. Okay. And, and it's that sort of mentality because what we believe and what's been true for us is that you find out the 10, the 10 or 20% that you need to improve on the fly as you're delivering. Mm -hmm. So it's getting in contact with, uh, with the situation to learn as much as, as possible, as quickly as possible. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, um, I think that's really important. And um, just to build on that, um, do you think that that sense of urgency um, is something that um, also correlates with your uh, how you guys think about competition and how to stay competitive in your market because as we know you know all industries um kind of get very competitive so how do you think about competition and staying competitive in your market um yeah yeah it's, it's a bit of both on one hand it's it's be agile and keep uh keep acting uh when i say acting it's is being a uh person of action because you end up learning faster but similarly and this is almost uh, the opposite is when you're focused on what you can do and what you can learn your composition in large parts becomes relevant because mm -hmm. yes you may be along similar lines but if they're sitting there thinking about what to do next and you're going out in the field getting bumps and bruises and learnings you're going to win so yeah. it's more a case of be aware of what the competitors are doing because it might inform you where to experiment next. Mm -hmm. But once you're focusing on action from your part, it then makes them irrelevant. <laughs> okay. That definitely makes sense. That definitely makes sense. So just by um, uh, also building on the same point, it seems that um, because you guys have such um, a strong work ethic, um, does that also, how do you think about work-life balance uh as entrepreneurs, because we know, uh, <laughs> I keep watching, keep watching videos um, from someone I really like, Chamath Pali, Pali Hapatia. I don't know if you know him. Social Capital. Uh, he's he's in the states. He was growth uh, person at Facebook. One of the you know legends, and he literally laughs at anyone who claims to <laughs> want any semblance of work life balance as an entrepreneur. <laughs> So it's always the, yeah. the, the it's always a thing that I laugh about. But what do you think? I'm I'm more in favor of that. For me, work life balance doesn't exist. It's, it's kind <laughs> of it's, it's a weird concept because I'm I'm like we spent two years investigating the space, making no money while doing a full time job, and then now it's a, a case of we can we're in a position where we can sustain ourselves. You know our lives and our, our, and we can make a livelihood from doing the thing that we were doing for free. Yeah. So it's more a case of why wouldn't I spend my time working on Capsule when that's what I would be doing anyway. You give me a day off or a week off, I'd just end up reading articles or um, blog posts or anything related to Capsule anyway. So it's yeah. kind of like, why would I passively do something that I would actively do for free? But yeah, I, I I get that some people don't have the same attitude <laughs> when it comes to work or relentlessness. But for me, it's just a case of if you found something that you really, really love and you're working with people that you love and care about as well, mm -hmm. like everything else sounds boring. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I can't imagine a more interesting life than speaking to one of my earliest childhood friends about mm -hmm. whatever's most 
challenging and pertinent in my life. Yeah. We kind of mastermind together and figure out a way to make it work and test it out. And if it works, we celebrate. And if it doesn't, we try again. Like that yeah. for me, that's just joy. <laughs> that's where joy comes from. Well, that's yeah, that's that's a really profound um outlook on life, if you ask me. Um, a lot of people wanna have both things. Uh mm. the the wanna have, you know, the success in entrepreneurship and you know um a very balanced lifestyle but it's it's definitely um i think in life there's probably just trade-offs you can't have everything fully but if you do have um a sense of um you know satisfaction from what you do that you do have a semblance of you know having both things at once i guess that's, that's what i'm getting from what you're saying yeah um, and I, I yeah. agree, and in, in many respects, um, like I'm, I'm full of contradictions because, for instance, yes, I, I spend almost all of my waking hours uh, on capsule, or waking thinking hours on capsule, but at the yeah. same time, I'm also a competitive boxer. Um, wow. And should, <laughs> should be turning a professional uh, next month. So wow. It's, so it is possible to have multiple avenues of joy, yeah. but like you said, it, there come sacrifices and you have to be very deliberate with what sacrifices you're prepared to make and are making. So for instance, um, for me personally, some, one of the sacrifices I had to make was for a long-term relationship that I had. It was an eight-year-long relationship. And yeah got to the point where we wanted different things. One, my partner at the time wanted more stability and predictability, which was very attuned to corporate life. And I wanted adventure and meaning, and there was a crossroads. And as a result, yeah. you know, we had to go our separate ways. So there are definite sacrifices. Some of them could be more grave, more personal, but I think if you're deliberate about what you're prepared to sacrifice and what you're not, you you can actually have the intensity of, of focus on your startup and then also have something else which is of uh, great importance to you as well. Yeah, no, uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, definitely puts a lot of perspective on, on that aspect of sacrifice, which I think is so important. Um, and yeah, I think our listeners will, will really be inspired by that. And then just uh, another question as we are about to wrap. Um, I'd like to ask, what do you wish you had known when you first started on, uh, when you first started capsule or entrepreneurship? What, what, like if you were talking to yourself at 22, <laughs> what what would be the one message you would send through the time capsule? No pun intended. <laughs> uh, there's there's many things I would say, but honestly speaking, I don't think I would have listened. <laughs> I'm one of those people who needs to have contact with with reality and a smack in the face before I listen. So mm -hmm. I would have said, David, you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> And I also would have said you're underestimating the cost that what you want is going to come at. Um, yeah. And I think 
I, I have this thing which I joke with Hanan and Femi about where I always call it delusional self-confidence, mm -hmm. which is both a blessing and a curse where mm -hmm. once I lock my mind on something that I want to happen, hell or high water is going to happen. And I don't <laughs> what reality I sit in, what situation I'm in. It's like once mm -hmm. I lock my mind onto that, I'm just like any barrier in front of me will break away because I'll be relentless and going off yeah. The flip side yeah. of that, mm -hmm. there is a degree of self-awareness that is needed to succeed. And mm -hmm. I think I didn't have the humility or the self-awareness to know when when to be dogged and determined and when yeah. to actually listen to the feedback and adjust my approach. And mm -hmm. because of that, I suffered a lot more <laughs> than was necessary uh, for a lot longer than if I was a bit more self-aware. Yeah, um, I think it's a really cool place just to end it. I think personally that self-awareness is, um, <laughs> it's it's a hard thing. And why I think it's particularly hard, especially as an entrepreneur, is entrepreneurs really try to do really hard things. You know what I'm saying? So you're trying to do something hard and at the same time you're trying to objectively critique yourself throughout these stages so um you might think it's uh you know um a bit of hubris or pride on your part but that could also be one of the factors that just form this identity that you know pushes you to box and want to be professional uh and you know want to change the world and uh do hard things come to africa start a startup you know those those are the kind of things that actually um build you know great people in life and um and thank you for sharing all that with us thank you for sharing your story uh i have thoroughly enjoyed having you here learned so much and yeah i look forward to to seeing what capsule gets up to oh thank you so much for having me max it's been an absolute pleasure as well all right thanks all right take care Hello everyone, we hope you enjoyed today's episode, because we sure did. We'd just like to remind you to follow us on social media if you have time, on Instagram at MaxKituber and at the SME Empower podcast, on LinkedIn at MaxKituber and on Twitter at MaxKituber. Thank you so much and see you again next week.